0: Lord, I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts and minds this morning, that your gospel will change us more into your likeness day by day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I hope that um, many of you here this morning will know, whether from receiving uh, periodic emails from me or from your worship at our other churches in the Cranmer Group over the course of the last month, or at the very least uh, having been here in Watton on the first Sunday of March, that we've been following a month-long preaching series in which we've explored God's generosity to us and how we are called to respond To this giving that he initiates. If this is still somewhat news to you, um, may I encourage you, please, to do one of two things. For those of you who are technologically minded, hence the phone, um, do go to our Crammer Group website where you're able to listen to all of the sermon recordings from this series, uh, from myself, from Bronwyn Gamble, um, Reverend Cannon. Uh, Brom and Gamble and Annie Dickinson our lay reader or if you prefer more traditional uh, media I've got transcripts of all of the previous four sermons of the series at the back of the church do please take copies of each of them uh, and explore what we've been learning together over this time This morning's talk will be up on the website as soon as I'm able. And if you'd prefer the service in a uh, sermon in a a paper copy, uh, catch me after the end of the service and I'll arrange to get one to you with pleasure. So we continue and conclude today our exploration of what Jesus has to say to us about generosity and giving. In St Luke's Gospel, through his encounters and conversations with the rich young ruler, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, his parable of the rich fool and his useless bigger barns. Today, Christ doesn't speak directly with the main protagonist of our story, nor does he construct an imagined parable scenario But rather, in the person of the poor widow and her act of extravagant giving, he and his disciples are able to observe from a distance both her behaviour and that of the ostentatiously wealthy as they give to God in his temple in Jerusalem from what they possess. In the verses immediately preceding our reading, Jesus specifically condemns the religious teachers who walk about in flowing robes. That makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it, I think? Um, And through their wealth and their standing, uh, they obtain the most important seats, both as they worship and as they um, indulge in their pastimes and their pleasures. He's especially scathing, indeed, of the way in which they make an outward show of obedience to God, whilst at the same time, as he says, devouring widows' houses. It's not immediately clear what he means by this phrase, perhaps, um, because they couldn't hold property in their own right. Widows were forced under Jewish law to have their financial affairs run by a responsible male, such as one of these religious leaders. And that when they took this responsibility in law, in fact, the way that they treated such widows was diametrically opposed to the protection and the nurturing that were the obligations of the wealthy and the powerful under the law of Moses. Even more so since they make, Jesus notes, a special point of declaring showy and lengthy prayers to the Lord. Such hypocrisy is. Christ declares, will be punished most severely. But what is clear is the way in which Jesus affirms the poor widow in her giving. If not in the absolute amount, uh, in the motivation for and the principles behind what she herself gives. We know that she would have had extraordinarily small resources from which to live. Jesus is explicit in describing her poverty. And yet she didn't choose only to give one tiny copper coin, a lepton as they were called, but two of them. That must have been a significant sacrifice for her. Regardless of our individual circumstances, this story and this teaching of Jesus presents each of us here with very considerable challenges. From a global perspective, we are all, regardless of our relative wealth in our immediate circumstances, in the very topmost percentiles of the richest individuals on the planet. I recall being especially struck during my curacy, uh, as part of which a group of us uh, were able to go and minister and uh, learn in the Diocese of Natal in South Africa. I recall being especially struck by the extraordinary and extraordinarily joyful generosity of the black women, and they were almost all women in that congregation, along with their children, who responded to the request for an offering in their township church just outside Durban, in which I preached one Sunday. But actually, Jesus is less interested in the absolute amount that the widow gives, even relative to her total resources, than he is in the root of her giving. She puts to one side her immediate desires or even needs, and she chooses in her generous stewardship of what God has already given to her, little as it may be in her particular circumstances. She chooses to respond to God in love, for the love that he has first shown to her, by creating and sustaining and blessing her, poor as she may be. The Anglo-Jewish 19th century banker and philanthropist, Sir Moses Montefiore, was once asked how much he was worth. Pausing for a moment, Montefiore responded with a relatively large amount of money, but one that nevertheless confounded his questioner. Surely he was much more wealthy than that. "'You didn't ask me how much I own,' replied Sir Moses. "'You asked me how much I am worth. "'So I calculated how much I have given to charity this year. "'You see, we are worth what we are willing to share with others.'" So Moses, I think, was onto something, but didn't go far enough, perhaps due, due, due to his Jewish as opposed to his Christian faith. Because the teaching of Christianity says that we are not worth what we are willing to share with others, but what God is willing to share with us. And as I said at the very start of this sermon series, the starting point for any conversation about how we give to God is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The people of Jerusalem who came out of their city to welcome Jesus that first Palm Sunday didn't yet know that he would have to lose his life in order to fulfil the task our Heavenly Father had given him. But despite all the opposition of the religious establishment and their imperfect understanding of Christ's destiny, the crowd recognised him as their Lord the Messiah who had come to rescue them. Their shouts of Hosanna means save us now. And so they laid on the ground before him the objects befitting the entry of a ruler, cloaks representing those of the enemies who'd been vanquished and palms waved above him in victory and triumph as he rode into the city. The question for the widow in the temple, for the crowds outside Jerusalem, and for us today, is essentially the same. What do we bring to worship the King? What do we bring to worship the King? When we gather together as the people of God on occasions such as this, we bring our presence Our attention in our heads and in our hearts. Many of us will have given in different ways, using our skills, our time, our resources, financial and otherwise, to make possible this time of praise and prayer and all the others that we share. We give of ourselves because we love our churches and because we wish to see them grow and flourish with new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and blessings shared throughout our communities through the service of our church family. All these are good and, at their best, wonderful motivations for giving. They bring glory to God and gladden his heart. But in the end, the question for each one of us is the same as the one that the risen Jesus asks Simon Peter as they share food on the shores of Galilee. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And out of that love, what will you give to the God who gives his all for you and for me? For those of us who are regular members of our Cranmer Group Sunday congregations, I have written to each of you, firstly, to thank you all for everything that you already give, financially and in so many other ways, to our church family. And then to ask you prayerfully to review that giving, if you would. I won't go further into the detail of what I say in those letters now, other than to say that we have a big vision for how we wish to flourish as God's people in this place. And all the ways in which we can bless our communities as he works through us. I hope that you'll catch something of the excitement and feel called to join us on our shared journey to see his kingdom come throughout the whole of our benefice, For those of you uh, to whom that applies, personally addressed letters are on the table at the side for each of you. Do collect yours after the service. They are uh, by village um, or by, by your normal home service, as it were. So if you can't find yourself in one pile, have a look in the other or the other's I really hope I haven't omitted anyone. Please forgive me if I have. There are some uh, that are addressed more generally to uh, Cranmer Group friends. Do take one of those if you can. And if um, you're not part of our regular congregation and you would like to uh, find out a bit about what we're doing and maybe consider uh, giving towards God's work in this place, do please take one of those Cranmer Group friend envelopes as well. Find out what we're up to. Become part of it. If you wish, we would love to have you with us on the journey. Thank you all so much once again for all that you already do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we remember today your entry into Jerusalem as king, Open our hearts to sing your praise. May we always welcome you into our lives with joy. May we always love and worship you, remembering that you love us more than we can ever imagine. All things come from you and of your own do we give to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.